And we're winding down our sessions on how to adopt a church multiplication culture or how to migrate toward a church multiplication culture. And so I want to do a review. And honestly, I'm a little bit nervous about review lessons because it can be horribly boring. But I think that if I kind of look at this from this is how I've done things, this is how I would do things. Uh, the world has changed since you know I was a pastor, pandemic and all that. But uh, here, here's just some of the things that I would do. First thing, looking back over the material, because that's what I really want to do in this session, is take advantage of the material that we have created, the talks that we've had together in the live coaching group, and then how that's filtered back into you know future materials as we've produced them. And so um, I, I, the first thing that I would do would be personal prep. And I would review the seven steps toward adopting a church multiplication culture without breaking wineskins, which is actually just the last session that we did. But before I was getting ready to start anything, I would be thinking about, you know, what I don't want to wreck while I'm trying to do something new, because you don't want to destroy the past. You want to build on the past and use it as a platform. And then I would move to core group preparation then congregation preparation. And then finally, we're going to talk about a multiplication campaign that you would operate very much like a capital campaign in your church. And so with the core group, the first thing that I would do is show the video that's attached to session one, and then possibly take leaders through let go of the ring so that they get a sense of here's a local church that actually turned into a multiplication movement. And you just begin to kind of whet their appetite. The second step is focus. I would take my core leaders through the McKinsey 7S, the shared values, the style, the staff, the you know, strategy, the whole thing. And I would use the value ladder that I created that goes in the PowerPoint that goes along with uh, session two. And then the Bible. Uh, I would teach through the pillars supporting a, a church multiplication culture that we looked at in session three. Not my pillars, your pillars, the ones that you came up with in response to what I had written. And then I look at pivots and I would teach through the eight New Testament pivot points that we find in session four and grapple with the pivots that you need to make in your church, because this is where rubber meets road. This is where things start to, you know, you know, get open to discussion and, and confusion. And you, you want to gather as much input as you can from people because they're the ones that are going to have to make the pivot. And you just need to help guide them into the process of really thinking that through and then going there. And then uh, number five under here, uh, core group preparation is cost benefit. Um, we looked at opportunities and costs. I'm always thinking of terms of costs and benefits, but I would look at the, the cost and opportunities PowerPoint that we presented in, in session six. And actually really what I'm saying is take the materials that I've given you, modify them so they fit you, your personality, your church, and you just teach people through this stuff. Uh, that's why we went through all this so that it gives you workable tools that are in your hands for your future. Because this is not about me. This is about you and making you become the kind of leader that people are going to want to follow into church multiplication. And I begin to move into the congregation. And some of this, depending on who you are, what your church is all about, how you feel about things, you just got to have a sense of this. Uh, some of this is going to go concurrent with what you're doing in the core group. I kind of tend to like to uh, get a core group five or six months ahead of the congregation. But honestly, I'm going to lay out a pretty long teaching plan here for you. 
And so they, they, you just may want to do, actually, you may want to flip it around from the way that I would do it and begin to teach some things in the congregation and then move your core group into it as you see how they respond to it. And so first thing that I would do is I would preach through Luke in order to connect it with Acts. I always talk about the Gospels and Acts being a disciple-making continuum, but you can really focus on Luke and Acts as a disciple-making continuum. But there are passages that you really need to bring from other Gospels if you're going to do Luke and Acts. Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus explains the parables. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20, where he gathers all his disciples and some are still doubters and he allows the doubters to carry forth the Great Commission. Um, of course, you want to talk about uh, John 10 and, 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 and an abundant life. You want to talk about Luke 10 and the person of peace. And of course, you're going to get there in, in Luke. You want to talk about John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the person of peace, who is the woman at the well. And, you know, she's a woman. Uh, she had influence. He worked with her. And sometimes we fail to do that in, in our world. I would then preach through Acts up to the separation of Barnabas and Paul. I don't want to do, when I go through Acts, and I, I would do it about every seven years in our church, I don't want to go through all the missionary journeys because they get redundant and people get bored. So I go up to the, all the way through the separation of Barnabas and Paul over John Mark, and then I pick it up again where Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem and then all the way through the trip to Rome. And I like to, when I'm teaching Acts, I really like to focus on the maturing church. The, the fact that the church in its infancy had to be immature. It's a brand new toy. And then it grows, but how it, as it grows, it moves beyond big addition, uh, at mega church to multiplication and in getting into the nooks and crannies of the Roman Empire. While I'm doing this, I want to add in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, where Paul addresses people that he never met. And, and he said, I know, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness, that you have all knowledge, and that you're capable of teaching one another. And what I'm really getting after here is the capacity that people have because of the Holy Spirit. We only have goodness or righteousness because of Jesus' shed blood and the Holy Spirit in our life. When he says you have all knowledge, he's talking about having the scripture at your disposal. And again, the Holy Spirit bringing revelation. And then he says you're capable of teaching one another. Do you know that everybody in your church leads somebody somewhere? It may be a single mom who's struggling to stay alive. and She's got two little kids. She's a leader. And so how do you begin to, to uh, mobilize a congregation to exercise the leadership gifts that they have? And I think you have to do it uh, just through the New Testament. At this level here, while I'm still preaching in Acts, I'm going to flip over and make sure that I get 1 Corinthians 14, 26 in there, which says that when you come together, each one of you has a hymn, has a teaching, has an encouragement, has a prophecy. You know, in other words, everybody plays. That was one of our kind of slogan models at Hope Chapel is everybody plays. We wanted everybody in the act one way or another. I would get into Ephesians. I'd like to teach through the book of Ephesians. I love that book. I'd lean real heavily on chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You know what they are, that we are saved by grace, not by works, but we're saved unto good works, that we should walk in them, that we are God's uh, creation, his unique piece of art designed to do some function in the world. And then, of course, I'd, I'd make sure that I'm real hot and heavy on, on, on two other places. One is Ephesians 4, where it begins to re-identify my role in the church as an equipper 
not a doer, especially if you're in a small church, which has a tendency to hang everything on the pastor and you're expected to do everything. I, I, I really want to, you know, clarify those roles there early in Acts where, you know, the apostles spend their time in the word and in prayer and they're not out feeding people, you know, get that one going. And then, then get into Acts chapter five and six, which kind of look like a priority. It starts out with, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, ends up with spiritual warfare, but it's a priority list for life. And um, I, I think it, it kind of helps motivate people toward what you need to do in, in ministry. And then the, the last point here in, in terms of congregational instigation is to look for the people who respond well to what it is that you're saying, the early adopters, because these are the people that they may not have shown up as leaders on your screen before, but these are the people that you want to work with because they're going to become the key influencers to the rest of the church and, and help you along this a fairly long path toward church multiplication. You know, we've gone through this in, this is the ninth session. Uh, you No way you're going to get through this in nine weeks or in nine months. You know, a, a, a cultural change on the short end is going to look like maybe 18 months to 20 months. On the longer end, it's going to look like more like five years. And uh, if, if you're willing to do what the Living Proverbs says, the Proverbs in the Living Bible, uh, steady plotting brings success hasty speculation leads to destruction if you're willing to do the plotting part i think you're going to find the success part <clears throat> and then finally i want to talk a little bit today about a multiplication uh, campaign this is just all about over communicating what it is you're trying to do this is what you have to do when you're trying to raise money in a capital stewardship campaign and so it's what we're going to do in a multiplication culture modification campaign. First thing is to organize a communication plan that includes every member of your church, uh, depending on their level of, of involvement. In other words, the people who are really tight and, and, and really the movers and shakers, they go first, and then you just work outward from there. You meet privately with key influencers, uh, then meet in groups with, with you know, teams as you can, especially the top level of those teams. Uh, utilize the PowerPoint that we created called Roadblocks, Tenacity, and Communication in Session 5. And uh, modify it and use it for a vehicle for kicking off your various meetings. In other words, do it live, do it as a PowerPoint. Um, you want to make some videos so you can meet with people in homes and have your face there. Uh, use the PowerPoint in there. And of course, modify it to suit you. I built it around me and you need to build it for you. And then uh, after that meeting in groups, you wanna host a large meeting for every leader that you can gather and do SWOT analysis. And this is session seven. Um, there's, a, there's a tool there for you to um, use SWOT analysis. I would say go back to the video and look at it for, in other words, in, in, in order to learn how to use that tool really effectively and, and get a large group thinking in the same direction a large group contributing to this new culture, uh, a large group arguing with what's going to go on here so that you can hear it and, um, and make the modifications that are necessary. The, the next thing here is just be on a very, very close and careful lookout for people who are going to be most affected by the change. I mean, as you change from one culture to another culture, some jobs become obsolete in the church, and some people got their name written all over these jobs. And you got to start thinking about 
you know, how do I help this person negotiate this change? How do I help them? So it doesn't take away what maybe they've wrongly turned into their identity in Christ. Uh, there's a lot of handholding. Uh, to me, there's a lot of cups of coffee drink with, with people who might just be, you know, hurting real bad over this thing. You don't want to lose people from your church during a time like this. Uh, you're going to lose some, but you sure don't want to lose many. And then remember that the end goal here involves every person as a disciple maker, but only a, a very select few are going to become church multipliers. And so your, your whole deal here is that you're trying to, to move the church into disciple making. You're trying to adjust the church so it becomes a platform that can support these few people who are going to go out and reproduce and hopefully multiply the church. I want to remind you of one thing. You know, I know all the, I know all the dark secrets of the Hope Chapels that I led. And, and one of them is that uh, you, you will probably harvest a lot of church planters but most of them are going to be one and done. You know, you've worked your brains out to invest DNA into these people so that they multiply or at least reproduce. And re remember, reproduction is cloning yourself. Multiplication is reproducing yourself. So there's a, there's a possibility of further reproduction down the line. Uh, our experience has been 80% of our guys were one and done. They planted a church. That was a great thing. Um, the kingdom of God advanced especially in Hawaii, it was really, really good. On the other hand, uh, there's just a few people who are really going to bite into this thing, and they're going to come up with four or five churches. And then, you know, we have had several people who went out, and there's over 200 churches as a result of their life. And so don't get discouraged along the way. Do be willing to be patient. Take your time going through this thing. At the heart of this is you got to adopt a culture of multiplication inside the congregation that looks like making disciples outside in a neighborhood. And, and, and it starts there. If you don't get the disciple making element right, you'll never get the church planting or church multiplication element to really get going. Uh, it's been a pleasure doing this. Uh, hope this series has been useful to you. Thank you.